everyone, welcome to another episode of Poetry Says. My name's Alice. Today I'm going to tackle a poem that I have been thinking about for pretty much the whole time I have been recording this podcast, Kenneth Slessor's Five Bells. I looked at doing this poem when I first started recording back in 2016. I can remember going to um, the British Library and getting on one of their computers there and doing a bunch of research around this poem and that's getting on to three years ago now and thinking okay I can I can definitely do this I can definitely tackle this poem and just making a bunch of notes and then putting it all aside because I did not feel up to the task and then over time I thought maybe I could get someone else on the podcast who knows more about this poem to talk about it and then I just put that idea off and I've just gotten frustrated with myself and thought, look, what is it that is holding you back from talking about this poem? What is like so precious about this thing? It's uh, it's a long poem. It's a famous poem. It's possibly one of Australia's most famous poems at the moment. And yeah, there's no reason I shouldn't talk about it. I think there's just a bit of anxiety around its place in the canon for me. And also, if I'm really honest, there's a feeling of why would I spend time examining and in some ways celebrating the work of uh, a white male poet of the canon who's had plenty of attention, frankly. Uh, I'd kind of rather be pointing you towards somebody more interesting than you might not have thought about already. Somebody who isn't so trapped in amber, I guess. But the thing is, I love this poem. I really, really love this poem. I saw the manuscript of it at the National Library in Canberra um, maybe a couple of years ago now. And I was so moved looking at Slessor's handwriting on paper. My sister also owns a print of John Olson's Five Bells. And that's one of my favorite pieces of Australian art. Um... I think it's a poem that we can't ignore, even if we want to. It's a bit like Frost's Mending Wall, and in fact it's a lot like Mending Wall, and I think it has at least one direct link to Mending Wall, in that it's one of those poems by somebody who's just got such a legacy and is so ingrained that you can't ignore it even if you you'd rather just not not think about that and Slessor himself is kind of a tricky guy to approach because his story on the surface is really straightforward a lot like the poem on the surface it's really straightforward but it feels like there's a lot of it's a lot that's unsaid and not dealt with so I'll give you the basic outline and then we can sort of go from there So, Sless was born in 1901. He had his first poem published in the Bulletin in 1917. So he's 16 years old. He's already published in the Bulletin. I found that really significant. I did an episode a little while ago about my great uncle, John Blight, and he he wrote this essay where he talked about how many years he spent submitting to the Bulletin and just couldn't get in. The poem that got Slessor published was called Goin, and 
apparently it was a poem, I can't find it anywhere, but it was a poem about a digger, which also deals with Sydney Harbour, apparently, just as Five Bells does. Sosa seems to have had a fascination with the armed forces, and Five Bells comes out in 1939, just at the start of World War II, so Slessa's 38 by this point. As well as being a poet, Slessa is also a journalist, and it sounds like he's got some issues with authority. He becomes an official war correspondent in 1944, but he has to resign because he wants to report on the war in a particular way that is not appreciated. So he he quits. And the other fact about his life that I, I feel like is significant and not fully explored in any of the sources that I could find is that he stops writing poetry at a certain point. He published Polarities in 1948, but after that, in the 50s and 60s, up until his death in 1971, he doesn't publish any more of his own poetry. He's an editor of other people's work, but doesn't publish anything else. And I think that's really fascinating for someone who had early success and wrote in his lifetime a poem that was as successful as Five Bells was. So I'm always fascinated by people who have that kind of trajectory. Weirdly, the person who's coming to mind at the moment is Jim Carrey. So much early success, and now he's this strange kind of guru guy. He's like hanging out in LA and yeah, seems to be very much off in his own world. That kind of story where you sort of do everything you wanted to do artistically in the early part of your life, and then you have the rest of your life where you sort of had to figure something else out. And whether Slessor had achieved everything he wanted and therefore drew a line under poetry, or whether he just couldn't write anything else that he thought was worth publishing or the people around him thought was worth publishing is is not clear to me. But I guess I find that trajectory fascinating because in my own life, I'm much more familiar with the John Blight school of grinding away until you gather this kind of incremental success. And Slessor seems to have had the opposite kind of story. So getting into the poem itself, I think the reason I love it is it has this spell-like quality. It's most often referred to as a meditation, even though on the surface it's an elegy. It's an elegy for a guy called Joe Lynch, who was an artist who illustrated Slessor's work. And Joe Lynch fell off a ferry in Sydney Harbour in 1927 and drowned. There's a little bit of debate as to whether he jumped or fell. Probably that is just to add a bit of romance to what is, as Five Bells illustrates, just kind of a senseless, meaningless death. There's this great quote that I found from Judith Wright about the senselessness that Five Bells deals with. She says, in the end, Slessor tells us that humanity is chaotically fragmented, isolated, unable to communicate with anything other than itself. This is not poetry written for the sake of communication, but the desperate talk of a man who cannot escape those tunnels of nothingness, the cracks in the spinning cross. Slessor can experience, but not interpret. He does not seek for causes or solutions. At the bottom, the note of hollowness and hopelessness is inescapable. 
that theme of hopelessness and senselessness also comes up in this great um, Radio National podcast that I found about Five Bells. Again, there's so much has been said about this poem. It's been covered and done to death in some ways. And in that episode, um, a novelist called Emily Maguire says that this is a poem that connects with grief without turning to religion. And she says that this was a very useful poem for her in her own experiences of grief, especially in that it gives voice to the frustration that you feel when you are grieving and the anger. And uh, the publisher Ivor Indic is also interviewed for this episode of the Radio National Podcast, and he's got some really interesting things to say about the poem. The thing that jumped out at me most that Ivor says is, artistic ambition is destined to be thwarted in Australia. And that's the angle that I think is most interesting to look at Five Bells from. Ivor's talking about that frustration as well, but he ties it not just to grief, but also to Celeste's place as an artist in Australia. That episode of the Radio National podcast was recorded in 2008, so 10 years ago. I think it's significant that one of Australia's foremost publishers of poetry would say kind of offhand artistic ambition is destined to be thwarted in Australia. I think it's a fact that as artists in Australia, we we not only accept, but we kind of, um, in some ways, we embrace that. In many ways, kind of go, yeah, well, I'm an Australian artist, kind of, what can I expect? What more could I possibly achieve? We talk a lot about the tall poppy syndrome, but I think that we often apply that to ourselves as well. Like, um, yes, I'm an artist, but I'm, a, I'm an Australian artist. So what's success going to really look like for me? Maybe that's putting it too strongly, but I think that's an interesting lens through which to view parts of this poem, at least. Because I don't really believe in this poem as an elegy for Joe Lynch, basically. He drowned in 1927, and there's this quote, so that's um, over 10 years before the poem is written. And I've got here in my my notes that I made all those years ago that it took Slessor 15 months to write this poem. So it's not as if he's been grieving the death of Joe for a full decade and a bit. It feels like Joe Lynch's death is a jumping off point, like he's leveraging the death of Joe. He even questions himself in the poem and at the start of the third stanza. He says, why do I think of you, dead man? And there's a quote from Slessor that I found talking directly about the death of Joe Lynch and describing who he was to Slessor. He says, he was a black and white artist whom I first met when I was working for a magazine called Punch in Melbourne in 1925. So they'd known each other for two years. We became friends then. I liked his mad Irish humour and his mad Irish rages. We did talk about blowing up the world, as I think it's somewhere mentioned, I really didn't want to blow up the world, but he was quite serious about it. We little realised, of course, that it wouldn't be long before men did devise a means of blowing up the world. Then, after Punch had finished, I met him again in Sydney when he returned here. He eventually fell off a ferry boat and was drowned, or at least he was assumed to have drowned. His body was never found, I believe. It's such a casual way to describe the death of somebody that you would write this kind of epic poem, this epic elegy about. So again, I don't believe it's really about Joe 
or at least Joe is only part of it. Joe's death is only part of it. I do like the way that that quote fits with um, a description of Slessor that I found in a from a biography of him that was published in 99, Jeffrey Dutton's biography. He says that Slessor was abrasive and petulant in behavior and mood, especially with women, which I think is, yeah, fits very well with that kind of like offhand description. Like he eventually fell off a ferry boat and was drowned. Like he can't, he can't even really bring himself to be bothered with describing properly exactly what happened. So yes, it's obviously a poem about Joe long dead who lives between five bells. That's what he says at the, at the end of the first stanza. But I think it's about much more than that. And I think the sense of frustration when we apply it to that question of artistic ambition that Ivor raises when he talks about this poem is, is it makes it even more interesting. So I want to read a section here from the first, uh, probably half of the poem and Go with me on this and keep that idea of artistic ambition in mind as I'm reading this. Why do I think of you, dead man? Why thieve these profitless lodgings from the flukes of thought anchored in time? You have gone from earth, gone even from the meaning of a name. Yet something's there, yet something forms its lips and hits and cries against the ports of space, beating their sides to make its fury heard. Are you shouting at me, dead man? squeezing your face in agonies of speech on speechless pains. Cry louder, beat the windows, bawl your name. But I hear nothing, nothing, only bells, five bells, the bumpkin calculus of time. Your echoes die, your voice is doused by life. There's not a mouth can fly the pygmy straight, nothing except the memory of some bones, long shoved away and sucked away in mud and unimportant things you might have done, or once I thought you did, but you forgot, and all have now forgotten, looks and words and slops of beer, your coat with buttons off, your gaunt chin and pricked eye and raging tales of Irish kings and English perfidy and dirtier perfidy of publicans, groaning to God from Darlinghurst. Five bells. I think the key lines there, if we're going to go with this reading of Five bells being about artistic frustration are unimportant things you might have done or once I thought you did, but you forgot and all have now forgotten. So even the things that Joe might have done would have been unimportant anyway. And Slessor and Joe and everyone around them forgets these things anyway. They're just, they're just gone. They're sucked under the water, sucked away in mud and... The stanza ends with um, publicans groaning to God from Darlinghurst. Everybody just goes down to the pub and gets drunk. And that to me is kind of a summing up of that attitude of, well, what could we have achieved anyway here in Australia? That kind of shrug, you know, might as well give up. I think the other reason that I found Five Bells a little bit tricky to talk about is it's a poem about Sydney Harbour and it's a poem by a white settler poet about land that doesn't belong to him. And um, it's kind of as if this poem lays claim to Sydney Harbour. When I see the harbour today, I think about Five Bells, I think about the poem and I think about Olson's painting. 
they're such huge like monumental works that they kind of claim that area of the earth in some ways but interestingly the last stanza of the poem i think acknowledges this in a way it acknowledges the fact that the harbor or it sort of flips it on its head it it gives this vision of the harbor outliving slessor outliving joe obviously existing before and after the poem so i'll read that bit as well I looked out of my window in the dark at waves with diamond quills and combs of light that arched their mackerel backs and smacked the sand. In the moon's drench, that straight enormous glaze, and ships far off asleep, and harbour boys tossing their fireballs wearily each to each, and tried to hear your voice, but all I heard was a boat's whistle and the scraping squeal of seabirds' voices far away, and bells, five bells coldly ringing out. Five bells. So Slessa ends the poem with this image of the harbour swallowing everything up and there being nothing left but the boat's whistle and the seabirds and the five bells ringing out. I actually thought that that line, tossing their fireballs wearily each to each, was a direct link to Frost's mending wall, but when I read the reread the line now, it's actually to each the boulders that have fallen to each. So maybe not a direct link, maybe. I mean, Frost's Mending War came out in 1914, so I would assume that Slessor would have read it, but not, exact, not an exact quote there. I definitely feel the frustration and the anger of the grief that is expressed in this poem. I also feel just the depth of it. There's just so there's so much to it. There's so so much to unpack in every stanza. I couldn't possibly do it justice on my own here in one episode of a podcast. But the more I think about it, the more I look into it, the more I just don't believe in that description of it as a meditation on the death of Joe Lynch. Joe is in there, absolutely. He's He's almost like a framing device, but Slessor's talking about something else, this frustration, this anger, I just don't believe could come from grieving a relationship that was so long past. What I can believe is that Slessor is railing against lost potential, what Joe might have achieved. And again, linking back to what Ivor says in the Radio National episode, I feel like there's this broader grieving for potential and ambition being thwarted, not just for Slessor, not just for Joe, but on a, on a broader scale. Thank God in so many ways for Olsen's painting, which is so beautiful because the poem on its own, uh, there's not, there's not a great deal of light here. There's not a great deal of levity, but there's so much joy in that painting. It's so beautiful. I think it almost lifts the poem out of itself and, and makes it something more than what it actually is. I'll just read one more section to finish off. This is towards the end of the poem. The night you died, I felt your eardrums crack and the short agony, the longer dream, the nothing that was neither long nor short. But I was bound and could not go that way. But I was blind and could not feel your hand 
if I could find an answer, could only find your meaning, or could say why you were here, who are now gone, what purpose gave you breath, or seized it back, might I not hear your voice? Thank you.